welcome back to the NES experience. Thanks for tuning in and make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. If you listened to our last episode, you know that Ned has moved into a new facility. And since he's moved into a new facility, uh, you've uh, actually played a little golf. I know we talked about last time on the podcast, but you had yourself a, a golf outing the other day, right? I did. We were able to go out uh, a couple days ago. Drew, I was invited, Drew Gallagher, P- PTSN Affiliates. Uh, they have an annual golf outing. And what we should be doing in our older years is be able to go out every week, golf, like all the doctors and lawyers. Uh, but because of the nature of our business and our hands-on approach to training all of our clients and athletes, we're at the point now where we basically get out once a year. And this was our, <clears throat> it was our first time going out the whole year. So you, you could probably guess how it should have ha- how it should have ended. Uh, but I actually did pretty good. So I'm happy. Awesome. Yeah, that's good. Whenever you're hitting them well on the golf course, it's always a good time. Other than that, uh, I always hear someone describe it as a a really bad walk when you're just not hitting them well. But yeah, the the thing I like about golf is it just gives you a chance to kind of go out there and and compete again as former athletes. It's uh, something that you just kind of like to do. And I know something we wanted to talk about a little bit is competing. Uh, so besides golf, do you do anything else to compete, Ned? Uh, these days, if competing with my kids is is a sport or an option, that would be a yes. But uh, no, the, the days of Ultimate Ball, because of our previous location, uh, for those of you that don't know Ultimate Ball, it is a time-honored tradition at NES, it's been going on, you know, before NES, even though it was all NES, but 2007, we started playing. It's a blend of ultimate Frisbee and basketball. Uh, there is a Hall of Fame. Uh, I am in the Hall of Fame. I'm the GOAT. I'm the Jordan of ultimate ball. Uh, when I played Ute, I was in my, I was more in my Jordan Wizard, Wizards era, not quite the, the six championships. But uh, it's from that level. I mean, I compete with everything, whether it's golf. We have a foursome, uh, me, Dickie, Jojo, and a guy, Jake Walkinshaw. He's on the, what organization? The Athletics. So we went out for two or three off seasons, play each other, get in fights. uh, Because it's, golf is a great equalizer. So I'm not going to be able to go out there. I can't even throw a ball right now with my shoulder. That's getting better. So I'm not going to be able to compete with them from a baseball perspective, but it puts me on, you know, look, they have a leg up, rotational pitchers, quarterbacks, baseball players. You guys are all good at golf. But uh, to be able to step out there and beat JoJo 90% of the time, 90% of the time I beat this professional baseball player, uh, which is really super gratifying. So Dickie's way better. So I beat him zero times. We have a group chat where we talk about everything and uh, bring up videos. And it's just, it's, it's great to be able to compete with athletes. I mean, we're all business, no beer drinking. The first day I went, we drank, I was like, I brought like, I don't know, a six pack of beer because it was only my third time golfing. I'm like, who wants a beer? And they just gave me a weird look. And I'm like, oh, these guys are serious. 
and I w- I'm all about the seriousness, competitiveness, fighting. Jake and uh, Dickie have to be rule keepers and to calm me and JoJo down because we basically fight nonstop um, about everything. He's just mad because I'm a better golfer than he is. Uh, but no, competing, that t- golf is the only thing I got left. We are bringing ultimate ball back because we got high ceilings now and more length. So we got 30 yards, 30 yard length of turf. So ultimate ball is going to come back. I don't even think I could play seriously with the athletes of today. They're all too soft. Uh, But uh, competition is just absolutely amazing, which is part of the reason I like to do, you know, my job and what I do is because I get to watch or I got to watch all you guys compete and I'm not going to say I'm trying to live through you guys, but I get to be a part. You go for four, I went over four. You strike out 10 and six innings, I strike out 10 and six innings. So I'm part of the competition and, you know, the chase to be great and make it to the, whether it's a college level or the professional level. I mean, that's competition. And then we have competition within, you know, the facility. Uh, you know, who's the strongest, who does this, who does that, who jumps the highest. You know, we build competition, not stupid bullshit team building. They're like, oh, we're going to do leg scissors for seven minutes and then planks for 20 minutes. Not bullshit like that. But, yeah, you got a bunch of athletes in the room. They all want to be the best. They want to have the hardest med ball throw. They want to have the highest stat left. And it's a whole bunch of motivated people that are super competitive. And, I mean, I get to live that environment, you know, despite the fact that I'm yelling at all these motherfuckers every day. Uh, it's pretty cool to be able to, you know, compete against them, compete with them, whether it's ultimate ball or golf or, you know, in the weight room. I have nothing to prove in the weight room. So I was stronger than everybody. I'm old now. Yeah. Uh, ultimate ball was a great time. It was always a good way to get some cardio in for me, at least, because after lifting weights, great time to get cardio in instead of doing it before. You just tire yourself out. But you, uh, I almost actually killed you one time we were playing ultimate ball. Uh, I went to go try and you know, slam the ball into the bucket. And I don't know how it happened, but you kind of like winded up at, at, you know, knee height. And I just put my knee right into your skull and I, I thought you died. It, uh, it hurt like a motherfucker. It wasn't fun, but yeah, uh, definitely those things got competitive, but it was always just a, a good cardio burn and a good way to kind of, you know, get a little trash talking in now and then. Yeah. I mean, talking about cardio, part of the reason why Really, the best type of cardio is cardio that you love to do. So part of the reason why, you know, to some extent, I like, you know, when you get into your elder years playing basketball, pick up games, if your body can hold up, um, playing ultimate to be able to compete and burn, like, you know how many calories me and you burn in an hour of ultimate ball? A thousand or more. And it's a thousand calories of, you try and comparatively burn that on a treadmill or an elliptical and you're just sitting there like, Oh, 25 minutes left, 20 minutes left, 15 minutes left. But if you can actually play a sport, tennis, you know, anything where you can even golf, did you know that golfing, riding a cart, you burn 900 calories in 18 holes. Walking is like something crazy. I'm um, dude, I can ride in a cart and play golf and burn 900 calories. Do you know how many miles I got to walk to burn from 900 calories? You don't notice that you're doing it. So that is the 
you know, the best part of, of cardio. Yeah, for sure. The best way to do cardio is to do something that you actually like. It sucks a lot less. Uh, now that I'm actually at work and stuff like that, it's kind of hard for me to, to do things and running on, on pavement on the streets, actually the easiest thing for me to do cardio wise. And it is something I used to do too. A lot when I was an athlete, you just kind of go out the door and run around just like uh, Rocky did in those, you know, around Philadelphia. But it, it, I mean, I've had an ACL surgery. I've talked about a lot, probably sick about hearing it, but my knees fucking suck. So running on pavement just absolutely blows. I'll do some jump rope and stuff like that. But yeah, for when it comes to cardio, if you're not doing ultimate ball or something else, what, what is good ways to kind of do it to take it easy on your joints? Well, first off, you got to look at uh, what surface you're running on. So the worst surface you can have is pavement. So you want to generally stay away from that. If you're an athlete, um, the easiest thing to do is go to a turf or a grass field. So you're going to save you know, a lot of the impact that way. Um, you're better off running on a treadmill than outside. Now, look, I get it. Running outside is way better. Um, it's really just monitoring your load and not doing too much. And that's fine. You want to run outside, do it up. And now something's hurt. And you, and you can't just continue to run outside. That shit doesn't fly. So, um, yeah, if you can try and mix it up between, you know, outside. But if you're outside and you start to have problems, that is now, that's out. So now you got to go to a treadmill. They, they put a lot of money in the treadmills, good suspension. It is, you know, better on the joint. So if you go and you're doing a treadmill, Simi's chewing up. Cindy's chewing up a piece of paper. Hold on a second. Motherfucker. Ridiculous. Go take a nap, bro. Can you ever sleep? I'm back. He just never sleeps. He just destroys shit every day. Um, so what we were talking about is the problem with, you know, now your knees hurt or your ankles hurt or something lower back hurts and you have to make the pivot and the transition to treadmill if you're on the treadmill or if you started on a treadmill and now you're the person, you're the treadmill guy that runs a bunch on the treadmill and your knees start to hurt. The, the pivot down to that or the pivot over is a fat mill. So that's the stair stepper that doesn't move. You move and climb the stairs and then they go away and then pop back. Uh, so we called it this, well, we called it the fat mill back in the IAP days. But so doing that with like intervals or distance, it's a complete ass kicker. As long as you pull your toe up and put your whole foot on the ground and push through the heel, you'll use more of the glutes and hamstrings to get into extension and you won't put as much pressure, you know, on the calves and quads. But if you're on the balls of your feet going up the, the fat mill or any stair stepper, um, you're going to have, you're more likely to have issues in the ankles and the knees. And then once those start to get super tight, the calves and quads, and you're going to have lower back issues. So, um, and that's typically pretty knee friendly. Uh, elliptical is always knee friendly. That shit's boring. Uh, you know, if, if you got to, you know, switch to that one, that's okay. And then walking, the most miserable thing to do ever is walking. So I do, I usually recommend, you know, now you, Hey, you could be on pavement. 
and to make it more challenging, just do hills walking. You can go to a slower speed. It's going to kick your ass. It's a good change of stimulus. Walking flat ground um, is super, I mean, they're all boring. But if you're, you know, generally in shape, you're not going to get a real response from walking anyways, unless you walk 40, 60 minutes. And that's even more brutal. So you got to change, you know, anything that's hard on the knees or the joints or whatever pain you have, you got to be able to make the transition immediately. That's one thing that you got to address. Um, And this is assuming, hey, you could be the genetic freak guy that can go run 10 miles a day and have absolutely no pains. Uh, But if that's you, ignore everything that I'm saying. But if you're having these issues... Um, you got to start to look at like, why did the knee pain come? Well, it's part of it is the way that you run running the wrong way. I'm not going to fix you over a podcast, how to run the right way, but something as simple as pulling your toe up, uh, in your shoe to, um, is going to change kind of the ground contact that you make. And it's not going to put that excessive stress. Um, you'll have a little bit less stress on, you know, the ankles and the knees. These injuries and pains are being caused usually because you got muscles that are tight and have knots and trigger points in them. The, the, the length and tension uh, relationships in your kinetic chain are, are imbalanced. So the calves get tight and overdeveloped. That's why everything you do, you want to have as much of the foot on the ground as possible. But um, your calves are tight. So what do you got to do? You got to stretch your calves and then you got to do tissue work. You have to break up the tissue, get the knots out and establish the appropriate length that they should be. Um, you got to look at, I mean, it really all depends on what the injury is. So if we're sticking with knees, you know, typically quads are overdeveloped, quads are tight, hip flexors are tight. Those muscles being knotted up and in a shortened position, that's going to you know, cause knee pain along with lower back pain. Um, but yeah, you got things going on at the knee if you're having ankle issues. So I had an athlete come in today. I got shin splints. Very, very common. Shin splints are common. Why do they occur? Well, nature of a sport, basketball player, always on the balls of the feet, uh, overdeveloped in the wrong areas in the calves and quads, tight hip flexors. Um, you kind of see when you do this for so long, you just see, I have this going on. I look like this and kind of this is what happens. But for her, you know, why are shin splints caused? Tightness in the calf and weakness in the anterior tib. Your anterior tib is the muscle that pulls the toe up. That's why when we run and we teach sprinting, walking, anything, you want to pull the toe up. It creates stability for the ankle joint and it helps shut the calf off and minimize the amount of activation. The less activation, the less tight. Um, it's going to be the less knots you have, the less it gets put in a shortened position and, you know, the less it pulls on, whether it's your, you know, the knee, which becomes the end result of the calf issue or the Achilles heel pain, uh, plantar fasciitis, um, Achilles tendonitis, which I've had, that's all correlated to, you know, the calves and the muscles on the bottom of the feet. So being able to release those knots and trigger points, add in stretching, strengthen the muscle. The anterior tib helps prevent the foot from collapsing. Um, it's eccentrically used at ground strike. So if you that, that muscle, if your foot flattens and everts and you're, you know, running at six to eight times your body weight, 
and your foot is crashing in, uh, that's no good. And that's how you typically see a lot of these issues occur. So by doing strengthening muscles, strengthen the VMO, the main stabilizer of the knee, the anterior tib, uh, we do all these things on our gram story, if you want to check them out. But there's exercises and, and a treatment to do um, if you have these issues. Yeah. Another cardio thing I used to do too uh, in Bridgeport was run the steps at Kennedy Stadium. Those things were brutal. But the worst thing you could do is run up steps. Uh, well, really, the worst thing you could do is run down steps. So the problem with everybody stares, every time, you know, a football coach is like, oh, good news is Hamden Hall doesn't have a stadium. So there are no, you know, stairs to what are they called where you run up, run across, run down. There's just a cool name for them. Up downs? No, not up downs. I don't know. We, they just would send us and we'd go. I, I don't know the, the name of it. So the run up, there's less eccentric load. Um, and you can use the, the right or appropriate muscles to, to get up the stadium steps and you're good. The problem comes when you have to come down. Cause when you come down, um, your toe is going to drop and you're going to be on the balls of your feet and you're going to eccentrically load with your calves and your quads, which are all the muscles that give you ankle, knee, and lower back issues over and over and over and over again. Now, if they say you can walk down, that's better because that's minimizing that load. So you can't keep your toe up and run downstairs. It just doesn't work. So if you think about it, if you're going down to the basement, the light's not on, and you're going one step at a time, the first thing you do is drop your toe and feel around that you have ground contact. And your, your body is going upstairs. You don't have, it doesn't have to be that way. You can pull your toe up and push through your heel and go into extension. So the worst thing you could ever do is run stairs or stadiums or I can't believe you don't know the real cool name for it, but yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm not hip with it anymore, but the, the last thing we want to talk about in our podcast, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last thing we wanted to talk about today was Olympic lifts and kind of how they're viewed in, in high school and college strength and conditioning programs just versus functional strength and being good at your sport. And I mean, just kind of real quick example from a football expect perspective is, you know, the guy who, you know, can't bench, you know, the house, but just doesn't get beat one-on-one, you know, on the line or, or anything like that. But, uh, you know, from your perspective, what, is there any benefits to doing Olympic, you know, lifts as opposed to doing kind of more sports specific lifts? Um, so we do Olympic lifts with all of our athletes. We only do one of the many, um, and that that's hang clean pulls. So hang cleans for lower body power development. So it's tough because, I've had to, my whole life, I've played the opposite side because the world of sports performance and strength and conditioning is all about Olympic lifting. So typically the way that I live my life and run my business is when the world is all about something, I do a whole bunch of research, look into it, figure it out. I'm a best practice guy. So I'm not going to do, I'm not a follower. I don't do you know, exactly what everybody does. And when everybody has like a big stance on something and I see that it's a problem, 
I'm basically going to take the opposite side. So the reason why this is so big in high school is because of college. So I read a book that was basically the history of strength and conditioning. And then they talked about whatever, the 1800s and the early 1900s and a bunch of shit I didn't remember. And then they got it kind of into the meat and potatoes, which is in the 60s and 70s. Uh, Some of your, I can't say Midwest, but your Nebraska, Colorado area, there was a couple strength coaches and they brought the concept of Olympic weightlifting into strength and conditioning. And they were looked at as pioneers uh, for doing this. And this is me playing the other side. I, I think overall they're they're kind of overrated because they did they did bring something good, which is by doing snatches and cleans, it improves power output. Power output improves vertical jump, 40s, athleticism. So there's benefits to doing cleans and snatches and um, depending on your sport, you know, push presses and jerks like I was a thrower. So for if I am training a shot putter, I'm going overhead, I'm doing push presses and things like that. But what happened is it just turned into crazy town. You you put a, a bunch of meathead football players you know, 70 or 100 in a room, and then it turns into a bench squat deadlift clean competition. And people saw that it did benefit, no doubt, by these guys implementing Olympic weightlifting into the program, their guys did become more explosive. But so the problem isn't necessarily the fact that Olympic weightlifting is bad. It's just overplayed and there's way more ways to produce power in a more functional way. And people do it way too often. They do too much weight. It's not being coached. Um, They treat the Olympic lifts like you're in an Olympic weightlifting competition. So I don't know if you've ever talked on this podcast about, you know, doing the catch for the clean versus just a pull. I can produce similar amounts of force if I just have them jump and shrug the bar or a high pull as opposed to actually going through the whole catch. Now, whether it's football and you being a quarterback or if it's baseball and throwing athletes, doing doing something like a clean and actually doing the catch requires, you know, wrist and forearm mobility, shoulder stability, uh, core strength. There's a lot of components and things that have to go right that it really does make sense for somebody to do the catch for a claim. If I have somebody who does a catch and there's no problem, sure, do the catch. But a lot of people, I've seen people, especially in college training and conditioning, pitchers, throwing athletes that already have, or from not me, but somewhere else, elbow inst- you know, elbow issues, wrist, forearm. I mean, that's your moneymaker if you're a throwing athlete or a baseball player. And so the problem is, they're making these kids do this three times a week, four times a week. Um, and they're having them do the catch, but they don't have the, the structural basis, you know, to be able to safely do it. And you're getting kids, you know, in high school and in college, and they just get hurt because the bottom line is, oh, if you catch it, it counts. And if you don't catch it, it doesn't count. Um, so yes, I use it. We, you know, not everybody uses it either. So most of my athletes use it when we do do it, we do it once a week, but we're working it in with the Vertimax variable resistance, 
you know, side loaded jump squats. We have a plyometric progression uh, with the boxes. We have multi-hurdle progressions. It, we produce power every time that we come in, but there's not only one way to produce power. Uh, and that's what's lacking more functional. For instance, I have a baseball player. I am going to get more bang for my buck and get that baseball player to throw harder if I allocate my hang clean pull time and do rotational power work with the med ball. But if they, when you go into strength and conditioning, they don't have a wall. They don't have the right balls. There's too many people. There's too many, you know, situate or reasons and excusable or, or excusable or inexcusable. Uh, and it's just easier to put, you know, the whole team in the squat rack and teach them that. And it's just what happened is it was something good that was brought in, but people took it. And I have to assume that they didn't have these guys clean three or four times a day back in the sixties and seventies. Maybe they did. And it works for some people, but most people are just not going to work. There's too much, you know, tread burned off the tires. Even by the time that I'm getting kids at 15 years old, they got all these issues. So it is okay to use it. It is overplayed. And, you know, I'm putting with Olympic lifts, we're going to put power lifting in with that, which is the bench squat, clean and deadlift. That's what everything is based off of, especially for football. And, Yes, you need a certain level of strength in those categories, but what you see is excessive strength. Squatting 500 pounds, um, and let's say you're whatever, 225 pounds, and you squat 500 pounds, you're good, bro. You check the box. You being able to squat 700 pounds, it's not going to transfer over to the speed and the athleticism and on the field. So it's just, it comes to a point where, you know, it's overdone. And when you run and move around and play sports, unless you're a bunny, you're running and cutting and moving off one leg, not two. So squatting, you know, we don't, I've went on a rant about squatting, how not everybody squats. If you're tall, you can't squat. There's so many restrictions. And then bench pressing, yeah, you have to have a certain level of strength, but they're doing it's being benching three days a week. I routinely get kids who come in and they bench three days a week. When I drop them to benching one time a week and doing a floor press, so we're only doing two pushes in a week every other week. So one week we push one upper body push one day, the next week we push two days, but the two days are never back to back. So I'm not doing barbell bench on Monday and barbell bench on Friday. I'm alternating and then, you know integrating, accommodating resistance, using bands and chains and, and, you know, force velocity, even within that, we're changing it up. So my guys on an average, if I have a football player, we're like heavy benching once every 10 days, whereas you see them doing it three days a week. And all you see is a whole bunch of plateauing and overtraining and they're not getting anywhere. So when I start doing single arm motions and and different paths and getting other things stronger, um, even getting the back stronger and the scapular, you know, retractors and all of these working, all these other things and benching once every 10 days, everybody PRs and they get better. So these are basic movements of pushing and pulling that are healthy and good, but the person that's executing um, and program writing is doing it the wrong way. And they're doing it the way that, however they learned 20, 30 years ago. So 
that's my take on Olympic lifting slash powerlifting type movements. But yeah, that's is a functional. I don't like to use the term functional, but maybe more specific to sport or yes, not moving around like a robot. You got guys that can bench squat, deadlift and clean the house. They can't move. They can't wipe their own ass and they're hurt all the time. So training that way. Yes. It's in my opinion, it's going to increase your risk of injury. It's not the optimal way. It's incorporating it into your program design, not letting it take over and be the priority. And all those things that I just talked about, they're all the front side of the body. And all those front side muscles are the ones that cause all the ankle, knee, hip, you know, shoulder, neck pain. So there's a correlation with training too much front side of the body. That's why we alternate pushes and pulls and train, you know, both sides equally. If anything, we do more posterior chain work than the front side. Yeah. I had a uh, kid in college. He, he looked really legit. And he lifted the house. He deadlifted a ton, squatted a ton. He was only on the team for a year. Uh, and he, he was not, he, he could not move. He couldn't really run or, or catch the ball. It was really shocking because he looked the part. He passed the eye test, but just could not actually play the game. He couldn't block a soul, couldn't catch the ball. It was really jarring. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't like the term functional strength either. I kind of use it a little bit in, in jest just because everyone does use it a bit. I, I, sport specific is more, more like it. I think there's just so many things you can do on the field that don't really translate to just, oh, you're going to bench a ton or you're going to squat a ton. It, it matters if you can perform. It matters if you can do things when the pressure's on you. There's just a lot to playing sports. I mean, weight training and conditioning is supposed to help you perform on the field. It shouldn't be that's the the end all be all. But you gotta watch you gotta watch out with your term sports specific because now what we're getting is people on Instagram, you know, and they're holding a stick and swinging you know, with the band attached to it and, you know, it's improving exit velocity. And then you got a pitcher with the band throwing a ball with the hip attachment on an RX pad, you know, and that becomes sports specific. So um, that's why it's tough trying to explain, you know, Olympic lifting versus functional strength versus sports specific, because the answer really is, yes, it is sports specific, but people are, are, completely fucking up what sports specific means. And they think it means if I swing a tennis racket, I just should go through that movement pattern with something with weight and that's sports specific. And if I'm a tennis player, all I should do is shuffle back and forth, you know, with whatever attached to you. And that's sport. it's, it's can get, you know, they, people can mess up, but that goes back to the field, not being governed or regulated at all and letting these maniacs out here and steal people's money, which is pretty sad. But Yeah, you never want to get your money stolen and just be told to, to shuffle around for, for an hour and a half. That's no fun at all. But that's probably going to do it, I think, for, for this episode. Is there anything else that you wanted to add before we 
Say goodbye, Ned. You always ask if there's something that I want to add, and I think we normally delete it out. But uh, no, there's absolutely nothing I want to add. I want to check my same game parlay and see uh, if if our game is going the way that it needs to be to take us to the promised land to buy some new podcast equipment. There you go. That is, I guess that is how we fund our podcast. Secrets revealed. Uh, so yeah, thanks for tuning in and make sure to like, and subscribe because we really need your support. Obviously, if this is how we are going to be raising funds for, for our podcast equipment, but you gotta do what you gotta do when you're just starting out. So we appreciate you taking the time to, to listen to us and we'll see you in two weeks.